And hello from Boise, Idaho and Idaho Education News. This is Extra Credit, your weekly podcast looking at education policy and education politics. I'm Kevin Richard. And I'm Clark Corbett. And we're going to focus mostly on elections here in the next few minutes, try to get you caught up on the races that we're watching and the races that you should be watching that may have some impact on education policy and the next legislative session. But first, let's hit a few headlines. And we love numbers around here and a big number and a big milestone number this week. Uh, enrollment in the state exceeded the 300,000 mark for the first time in state history. The fall enrollment numbers came out. We're a little bit above 300,000. That represents about a 1.7% increase in enrollment from a year ago. Uh, if you go to idahoednews.org, you will get a look at how the, the numbers have changed in your district, in, in your neighborhood charter school. And we look at what does this mean in terms of money? We, we try to look a little bit at the budget, how that translates into what was uh, funded a year ago. Uh, look at some of the uh, the growth issues that are facing some districts. So a little bit of a rundown of what that 300,000 figure means, other than it's a good trivia question and, and a good little sidelight of education. Yeah, for sure. Also wanted to let people know that on Tuesday night in Blackfoot, the State Department of Education uh, unveiled its plan to comply with the Every Student Succeeds Act. That's the federal education law that pushes a lot of oversight and accountability of public schools away from the federal government and towards the state government. Uh, there's a series of public hearings that kicked off on Tuesday that will be taking place in towns across the state. And uh, this is an important document. It has, uh, what it does is it outlines Idaho's plan to comply with the Every Student Succeeds Act, and it touches on a number of hot-button education issues uh, from testing and accountability uh, to the use of federal funding and English language learners. And if you want to find out about that plan, it was kind of unveiled last minute. There wasn't really much of a chance for the folks in Blackfoot to read that and consider uh, developing perspective on that. But if you want to find out about this plan and where we go moving forward, uh, Devin Bodkin, our Eastern Idaho reporter, covered that. Uh, that's on there from Tuesday evening. In other numbers news, uh, we received the figures on the literacy payments under the, the new state literacy initiative. We knew that districts and charters were going to receive about $11.25 million, including $9.1 million in new money to help get kindergarten through third grade readers uh, reading to grade level. Well, we now know how much each district is getting and how that is based on reading scores in those districts in the past few years. So if you go to idahoodnews.org, you can get a rundown of that. You can uh, download the data and you can see how much money is going to your district or charter school. Yeah, a busy week, but uh, next week, Kevin, I'm told, uh, and this sort of snuck up on me. I hadn't heard this was coming, but there's an election. No, is that, is that there's an election? Is okay. that correct? Well, let's, uh, let's improvise here and do a podcast about these elections <laughs> that nobody's been paying attention to anyway. Uh, a pretty full slate and kind of a, a full slate, but some races that we care about and look at a lot more closely than others uh, there are congressional races. We haven't really covered them because it's, it's congressional, it's federal, and there's not a whole lot of an, an education net nexus. President, we've kind of touched on a little bit, uh, looking at uh, where did Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton stand on education issues. But wait, there's more. It's not just 
Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton on the ballot in Idaho. Right. Uh, on the ballot in Idaho, there's actually eight candidates uh, for president. And, Kevin, there's about three of them that I've never heard of. i got to be honest with you. Uh, but eight names on the ballot uh, just going in alphabetical order. Daryl Castle, Hillary Rodham Clinton, Scott Copeland, Rocky De La Fuente, Gary Johnson, Evan McMullen, Jill Stein, and Donald J. Uh, Trump. So, and, and, and Harley Brown, the uh, perennial candidate in Idaho, who says he's going to run for president in some way, not among those eight candidates. So. Not among the, not the eight among candidates. The eight. Um, but yeah, obviously the presidential election has been uh, well covered, and that's not something that we really covered too closely. Um, but there are some down ballot things that we want to take a look at that we want to uh, kind of help you get prepared for. Um, for when you head out on Tuesday, Idaho Ed News is a great resource. Uh, we had some election preview stuff, but uh, let's start with some of these with the Supreme Court uh, mm-hmm. race, Kevin. This is actually a non-partisan race, uh, and uh, we saw this on our ballots in the primary. Why is it back again in November? Yeah, let's review the civics. Uh, not only is it a nonpartisan election, but judicial elections work a little bit differently than other elections. So you had four candidates for this uh, vacant seat on the Supreme Court on the ballot in May. None of the four candidates received a majority of the vote. So you've got a runoff between the top two vote-getters from May, and that's Robin Brody and Kurt McKenzie. Uh, Robin Brody, a longtime attorney in the Magic Valley. Kurt McKenzie, a longtime state senator from Nampa. as we've seen before, the uh, Supreme Court can weigh in on some pretty important education issues. The whole Idaho Education Network debacle kind of unfolded and unraveled in the chambers of the state Supreme Court. Uh, the state Supreme Court has been asked in the past to uh, weigh in on education funding issues, not just in Idaho, but in other states, but it has happened in yep. Idaho. Uh, so you could easily see this Supreme Court and this new justice, whoever winds up getting elected, uh, having to uh, you know, cast opinions on some pretty important education topics. That's why it's on the ballot. That's why it uh, is uh, something that bears watching. Sure. Uh, just moving further down the ballot, uh, I want to talk about HJR5. We've mentioned that on the podcast briefly uh, a couple of weeks ago, but remind our listeners, Kevin, uh, what in the world is HJR5? And we've seen uh, some interesting alliances in terms of people coming together uh, to support or oppose HJR5. But let's start with, with what is it and, and, and why are we being asked to amend the Constitution? This is like the election revenge of the nerds thing because I'm fascinated that this has become one of the most interesting and hotly debated topics in Idaho politics right now because... It is so dense and it is so arcane. It's important, but it is really complicated to figure out what it means. What it means in a nutshell, and a nutshell is very, very glossed over, but I'll do my best here. It pertains to how legislative rules, how agency rules are addressed in the legislature. State agencies write rules. And rules, when they're adopted, have essentially the force and effect of law. So it's a big deal. It is a big deal. So... Education agencies write rules. State Department of Education, uh, State Board of Education write rules, and they can be pretty far-reaching. Common Core was a rule. Uh, The whole teacher pay issue, the career ladder kind of came out of a very unpopular tiered licensure rule that was rejected by the legislature. Science standards, you wrote about a great deal this past legislative session, in limbo because legislators rejected the rule. Legislators have this unusual power in Idaho 
to reject rules. And they've had that for years. Yeah. What this amendment does, or would do if it passes, is cement that legislative power into the Constitution and would basically make the legislative rule review process exempt from judicial review and maybe exempt from executive review, from gubernatorial review. That's where we get some of these odd alliances that are coming into play. Yeah, in terms of the folks supporting it, we've seen a lot of our existing legislators joined by U.S. Senator Jim Risch in supporting this. They're arguing that legislators are elected by the people, accountable by the people, and we want to preserve those rights. They're saying that the state agencies that write these rules are not uh, held to those same accountability standards because they're not elected. On the opposition side, uh, we saw Governor Butch Otter and Attorney General Lawrence Wasden come out against this. The governor uh, published an mm -hmm. opinion piece, Kevin, that made uh, quite a bit of noise. What was the governor's argument uh, against the passage of HJR 5? Well, you do have to understand that at, at some level, this is a basic power struggle sure. between the legislative and the executive branches. So the governor, as the chief executive, is going to view this as how is this going to affect my ability to have a say in the process? And one of the things that the governor really kind of weighed in on and really honed in on in his guest opinion is the idea that this amendment could give lawmakers the additional authority, and I'm just reading straight from his guest opinion, uh, additional authority to reject rules in whole or in part, essentially creating a lawmaking process in which the governor is constitutionally barred from vetoing the result. That's the, the end of that passage. So you see where the governor is coming down on is saying that this goes further than what the legislature already has in place and really cuts the governor out of the process of reviewing rules. And, you know, some strange bedfellows here. Governor Otter and Attorney General Watson have not seen eye to eye on a lot of issues in the past, most notably uh, some really public sniping over the Idaho Education Network uh, meltdown. Here, uh, two members of the executive branch, two constitutional officers arguing against this amendment. The final say goes to the voters. So work your way down into the ballot on Tuesday and, uh, and look this over, but look it over in advance. It is kind of a complicated issue, but an important issue. What, what are the mechanics of this, Kevin, in order for it to pass or fail? What kind of, uh, what kind of results should we be looking for? What's the mechanics of what entails passage? The reason we got here is that uh, HDR 5 passed both houses by two-thirds majorities. That's the first hurdle in a constitutional amendment. But then it becomes an issue that has to be voted on by the people. Simple majority passes. Worth noting, a couple of years ago, 2014, very similar amendment was on the ballot. Voters rejected it narrowly. A lot different, I think a little bit more intense campaign going on this time around. We'll see if there, we uh, have a different result. Sure. All right. Uh, look for that. I, I do want to move on to kind of our bread and butter area here, the thing that we specialize in most when we talk about our policy coverage. Those are the, that's the legislature, the Idaho legislature. This year, um, all 105 seats in the legislature expire again mm -hmm. and are up for election. But, spoiler alert, many of the incumbents are going to be coming back to Boise next year, no matter what happens on Tuesday. Because they're unopposed. Right. Uh, I went through the ballot uh, listed on the Secretary of State's website. I found 66 contested legislative races, uh, contested insofar as there is a name on the ballot. I'm not getting into uh, any write-in 
type of situation. So 66 contested races on the ballot. That means 39 uncontested races. Some of the uncontested races. And some big names. Yeah. Scott Bedke, Dean Mortimer, the chairman of the Senate Education. Julie Van Orden, the vice chairwoman of the House Education Committee. Presumptive possible next House Education Committee chair. I mean, if you... If you follow the speculation, I mean, she seems to be a, a possibility. But a lot of other key legislators who either survived a primary or didn't even have an opponent in the primary. Well, let's talk about um, some of the 66 races uh, that are contested. And I'll go ahead and kick it off, Kevin, uh, with a race in the Boise area that has some education um, connections. So uh, if we want to look at the District 15 race, that pits incumbent Republican Patrick McDonald. Mm -hmm. He's been on the Education uh, Committee since he joined the legislature. He was actually appointed to fill a vacancy, and then he won re-election two years ago. Uh, He's on the House Education Committee right now. He's a Republican. This is a race, though, District 15 uh, in Boise that Democrats are sort of targeting. And so we have Jake Ellis, a former firefighter, running against the incumbent Patrick McDonald, who is a former U.S. Marshal. So this could be your uh, your law and order, mm-hmm. uh, law enforcement uh, uh, race. But uh, that's one race that um, it's held by Republicans right. now, but the Democrats would like to, to target that. And, right. And 15 is West Boise. It's... Uh, I would not call it a swing district yet because Democrats have not broken through and won it yet. I don't feel like a, a district becomes a swing district until you actually see uh, seats moving back and forth. But I think it's definitely a battleground district because the rest of the legislative districts in Boise proper, uh, Democrats have a pretty strong control over right. at this point. They're, they're, they're winning handily. In many cases, they're running unopposed. One 15, of about three strongholds in it, such strongholds right, in right. the state. Yeah, there, there aren't many, but Boise is definitely one. So 15 becomes sort of this uh, next wave in the, the the battle over how is Boise politics going to play out. So you've got this McDonald-Ellis race is worth watching. Uh, Lynn Luker and Steve Birch running against each other again. Uh, Steve Birch has run against uh, Luker in the past. Lots of money in this race. That's the in same quite, district, it, the other the house same, seat. Same district, same, uh, the, two, the other house seat in District 15. A lot of money in the Luker uh, Birch race, a good deal of money in the McDonald-Ellis race, and that's kind of one of the ways I try to figure out which races are most worth watching, and just who's putting money and how much money is going into these races is a pretty decent bellwether, absent any polling, because you never see polling in legislative races, or or we don't as reporters see any polling. Yeah, exactly. What are just a couple other races that you've watched, Kevin, that could be interesting? You followed the money. Maybe take me up to North Idaho and let me know uh, what North Idaho voters might expect on their legislative ballots. Yeah, let's swing around the state a little bit because uh, there are a couple of swing districts where you would expect to see competitive races and you are seeing competitive races, at least when you look at what's going on in the money. Uh, The Lewiston Legislative District, uh, it looks like we're going to have a couple of potentially really close house races. We had really close races in the in that district two years ago. Uh, John Rushi, the minority leader, being opposed uh, again in that uh, in that general election. And this is right now the most uh, expensive legislative race of the bunch, uh, based on the most recent uh, numbers. But the, the Mike Kingsley John Rushi race could be the the hottest race in the state if. Uh, if it holds to what we've seen in the past. That's District 6. That's, that's the District Lewis District six. Uh, that you talked about. Kevin Lewiston, excuse me. But but you move up 
even further into the panhandle, interesting race unfolding and a lot of drama unfolding in a race in District 1. This is the district that uh, borders up against the the international border. It's the uh, the Boundary County Legislative District. Uh, Heather Scott, a very um, prominent conservative, um, wrapping up her first term, getting a pretty uh, strong challenge from uh, Kate McAllister, a Democrat from from Sandpoint. Uh, she's receiving some support. She has has received some support from a former legislator, a re- former Republican legislator in that district. So a good deal of money in that race. And because of Heather Scott's uh, demeanor and record, uh, she's been a very outspoken conservative, uh, very active conservative on issues such as the uh, the child support issue that we saw right. blow up at the end of the uh, the twenty fifteen legislative session. I think that's a district that uh, Democrats are hoping to get a breakthrough. It's a very Republican district, though. I would not even remotely call that a swing district in terms of the demographics. But we'll see. I mean, as I look at the numbers and I look at the money, there are just a few incumbents that you can tell the opposing party is trying to to take a run at. I mean, I mentioned John Rushi as a Democrat to a lesser degree, uh, Senators Michelle Stennett and uh, Dan Schmidt. A little bit of money being thrown into the uh, opposition races there. Uh, A couple of Republicans that are definitely, uh, Democrats are hoping to maybe uh, take out in the general election. We mentioned Luker. We mentioned uh, Scott. uh, Steve Miller, a member of the uh, Joint Joint Finance Appropriation Committee from Fairfield. That's an interesting district because that takes in Blaine County. So that's definitely a swing district. And he's the lone Republican in that delegation. Uh, Democrats taken a very serious run at that seat. But, you know, you, you say 66 races, you know, where we actually have an opponent, you can really break it down to maybe a dozen or fewer legislative races that are really competitive. Maybe fewer than a dozen for sure. Because you look, a lot of these legislative districts are either really strong Republican uh, strongholds where Democrats have not had any success in the past. Yellick and Boise and some other districts, very strong Democratic strongholds. <laughs> Isolated though they may be, where Republicans haven't made a whole lot of uh, inroads. So not a lot of competitive races, but definitely a few worth watching. Just to complete my uh, train of thought here on the legislative races, we talked about the 39 uh, uncontested races. You followed the money. What does that do when you have uh, an experienced, perhaps a powerful incumbent not facing uh, an opponent, what does that do uh, to the money situation, Kevin? Or what did we see this year? They, they are free to put money into any race that they choose. And you see that with a lot of uh, leading legislators who are either unopposed or facing what doesn't seem to be a very serious uh, uh, competition in the fall. Uh, Scott Bedke, the House Speaker, has given money to numerous uh, Republican legislative candidates around the state. And you got to think that that is partly with an eye towards the legislative leadership elections that unfold in late November, a few weeks after the general election, after the people vote, the legislators vote on their leadership. Uh, So you have to think that that's part of the equation. But you see some Democratic leadership doing this as well. Uh, Matt Erfolding, who has an opponent in District 19, but District 19 is so strongly Democratic. He's put a lot of money into other Democratic legislative campaigns himself. So it's going on and it's uh, a trend that we may see more of in the future. I want to remind folks that the polls are going to be open from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. local time where you live on election day. 
which is Tuesday. If you are not registered to vote, no big deal. In Idaho, you are allowed to register at the polls when you go to vote. You'll just want to remember to bring your driver's license and bring proof of your current address. The best way to do that really is a current utility bill uh, that has the date uh, and your address clearly listed. A great site if you're not sure uh, where your polling place is or maybe if you've moved since the last time you voted. IdahoVotes.gov. Type in your information. It will tell you where your polling place is and if you're registered. Also wanted to remind folks, on Tuesday night, you and I, Kevin, are going to be staying up late. Mm -hmm. And IdahoEdNews.org and at IdahoEdNews on Twitter are going to be two of the best places in Idaho to follow the election results, especially if you're following the legislature, especially if you're interested in some of the local races. We will be updating the presidential race uh, in Idaho uh, we won't track it nationally, but in Idaho, we will update it all throughout the evening um, as well. So check it out right. on Tuesday night. We and have I will a have a live blog going on election night. And if you're in the Treasure Valley, tune into Channel 6, KIVI. I'll be doing analysis on the set with uh, Michelle Edmonds and Don Nelson and a cast of thousands on Channel 6. All right. I think that catches us up with our election news. Before we go, I wanted to let people that we re- know that we recorded our podcast a little bit early this week, Kevin. Yeah, we're on three days rest. We're because uh, <laughs> because you have uh, you had a plane to catch and a big adventure coming up uh, this weekend, something that's special to you and your family. Uh, tell me a little bit about it. So by the time you're listening to this, I'm going to be in New York City uh, acclimating and getting ready to run in the uh, New York Marathon. Uh, some of you know that I... I run, I do this stuff uh, fairly regularly, This is, uh, but this one is special. Um, this is the largest marathon in the world. Uh, 50,000 runners compete in this. Uh, so to put that into perspective for, for people in Boise who may, you know, who may do this themselves, the race to Roby Creek, the big race in, in Boise, is 2,500 runners. So I keep thinking to myself, oh my goodness, this is like 20 Robies who are going to be surrounded by people. You run through all five boroughs. Uh, you get a view of the city from a whole different set of perspectives. You cross five bridges. Uh, from what I've heard, uh, it's like a big block party. They have about a million spectators lining the course. It's I'm beyond excited about it. It's been something I've been counting down days for and training for since uh, the spring. So it finally happens on Sunday. And New York, especially you, Kevin, you... You, you grew up there. You're from the area, and yeah. you're going to be able to go back uh, uh, with your boys and, and 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 visit and spend a little time there. Yeah, my uh, wife and kids the are making the making the trip, so we're going to do some tourist stuff. A lot of which I never really got around to doing as a kid. So I'm looking forward to that, and looking forward to just kind of seeing uh, a city that I have a lot of memories about, but seeing it from a very different and slower perspective. Uh, but it's it's exciting. It'll be. It'll be a, a great experience. Uh, I can't wait for it, and we'll uh, talk and about the postmortem maybe next week. And you're, and you're going to beat Rudy, right? There's a couple of celebrities oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. running. So, so the uh, the app uh, that they have for the New York Marathon, you can track a, a, up to 20 runners. I mean, if you really have nothing better to do on Sunday, you can track me. But I'm What's track- your good number if, if they want to? <laughs> oh, my gosh. You're going to make me look. Okay. It is. Uh, da, 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 da. But you can also track Sean Astin. Rudy from uh, the movie of the same Tiki name. Tiki Barber is going to be running. Barber, the all-time leading rusher for the New York Giants. Uh, so you can track a, a whole bunch of us. Uh, I am 65294. That number again is 65294. So I'm going to see if I can beat Rudy. I don't hold out a whole lot of hope of beating Tiki Barber. But we'll, 
If you, it's all for fun. If you beat Rudy, will he carry you off the race course on uh, his shoulders? That's probably a little much to ask. <laughs> all right, sounds good, Kevin. I want to wish you uh, the best Thank of luck you. in the race. Thanks. Have safe travels. Enjoy your time in the city. And then, convenient for me, you're going to be back just in time to help out with our election yeah, coverage. Yeah, a little sleep-deprived, but I'll be back. All right, sounds good. Thank you, everybody, so much for listening. As always, be sure to connect with at Idaho Ed News on Twitter all night on Tuesday for updated election results from all corners of Idaho. In the meantime, thanks, as always, for listening. I'm Clark. I'm Kevin. Have a good week.